If you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to do some Bible reading in church. Isn't that ironic? Um, if you didn't get your Bible reading in, you're going to get it in right now, because we're going to read two chapters, the first two chapters of the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels so much better. i don't know if you like to underline in your bible but it's not a sin if you want to underline so much better that word better is a good word that word better is throughout the book of hebrews and really that is what we're going to be focusing on. Jesus is so much better. He's so much better. And in this verse, verse 4, he's so much better than angels. Um, by the way, if, if, if we read kind of fast and you're wondering what's going on, it's okay. I'm going to come back to it and explain. Uh, so much better than angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, that he makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Everybody still with us? Okay. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall inherit salvation? Chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore, in light of everything, in light of chapter 1, in light of everything we just talked about, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, but you have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. That means he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. We don't see all things. We don't see the fulfillment of all things. That scripture doesn't exactly make sense to us right now. But, verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him 
for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation. That's Jesus. The captain of our salvation, perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call us brothers, saying, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praises to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had, had, past tense, the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he, Jesus, does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid. To us, to the seed of Abraham, to humans. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Doesn't that feel good? Got your Bible reading done for today. Lord, we thank you for your word, and over the next few moments that we spend together, I pray that you would illuminate your word. It is, it is your word that we need. It is the living word, not just the written word. It's the word of God, Jesus Christ. We need him to come in, and we need to see him. So I pray that through everything that we say and we do, that you would be glorified and that you would be seen, and, and that uh, we would come into a new and fresh relationship with you. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for this lovely letter that was written to us. Thank you for this beautiful fall weather. And the Hades of summer is over, and uh, UT actually won, so we give you all the glory for that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, I was homeschooled most of my life, FYI. Uh, that would probably explain why I'm so awesome. Um, just saying. Uh, I did go to Christian school uh, from kindergarten to first grade. So I was in there for kindergarten and first grade. And my favorite part of first grade that I can remember um, was what we called show and tell. I don't know if you guys still do that nowadays. Do you guys still do? Do you guys do show and tell? I remember show and tell. I was seven years old, and um, it, was, it was awesome, show and tell. Uh, after Christmas, the teacher would have us do it after Christmas, which is wonderful timing on her part, um, because we just got a bunch of toys. And so after Christmas, I remember I was seven years old, first grade, show and tell, and I brought, and this is going to date me a little bit, but I brought a remote control car um, that was a Fiero. Does anybody remember the Fieros? They were awesome. Like, not very safe. Engines tended to ca catch on fire and stuff. But they were really cool. Uh, they, were, they only made them from, like, 84 to 88, I think. It was just, like, four years of production. And, and um, I, I just, I just love Fieros. And so my, my parents had got me a remote control Fiero. The little headlights went up, you know, and it beeped and honked the horn and stuff. And I liked show and tell, which is weird because I'm an introvert. You would think introverts would, would, would hate show and tell. But actually... Um, I've noticed with myself and with my daughter, who's also an introvert, whenever we have something that we're really excited about, we're actually excited to share it with other people. Um, maybe that's why I like preaching, because I just, I'm, I'm excited about what I have to say, and it's pretty cool. So I enjoy show and tell. I enjoy saying stuff when I have something to say. By the way, those of you who are extroverts, just take a little note here, and this, is, this, is, this will help you understand us introverts. Because my mom always used to ask me, my mom's an extrovert. Um, hi, mom. She's watching online. 
she's not an introvert. She's an, she's like she's extroverted, so she's outward focused. And so, um, but we would go over to somebody's house, or we'd go out to eat at a restaurant or something. And my mom would constantly ask me, "Is everything all right here? Are you okay? Are you okay?" Because I wasn't talking a lot. But this is something that introverts do. Okay, and and this is a novel idea. This is amazing. I'm just going to open up and blow your minds for just a minute. Um, introverts, if we don't have anything to say. We don't say anything. (laughs) That's about as simple as it gets. When we don't have anything, we don't say anything. So that'll help you understand us introverts just a little bit. Uh, But at show and tell, man, I had something to say. I had a silver Fiero with a remote control, and it was awesome. I actually brought a a picture of me in first grade so that you could see kind of what I looked like back in the day. Um, that That was me. The old shadow of the picture, I'm thinking about myself or something. I don't know what that is, but, but that's me. But for the, so obviously I wasn't exactly a really cool kid, but on show and tell day, I was a cool kid because I had the Fiero, okay? And it was a good day. And I kind of feel like that's what this book is about. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Some believe that it was a sermon. Um, the, the, the authorship of the book of Hebrews is kind of under much uh, uh, argumentation. They aren't really sure who exactly wrote it, but we do know that it's been written by God. And so we'll just go ahead and give him the, the authorship for it. This is a book by the Holy Spirit, and it was written about 70 AD. And really, this is God's show and tell. Like, this is his bringing the fiero. This is his bringing his best to the table and saying, check this out. And if you have any question about that, you just simply go to the very first verses there, the first verses of chapter 1, where it says that God at various times, in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And now he starts bragging about his show and tell, okay? He starts, he, he, he whips out the absolute best gift that he could ever whip out right here in his son. That First of all, his son is appointed heir of all things. That's everything. That means that, that everything is moving toward Jesus. Everything is moving toward his son. Everything is coming to him. So whatever you might own right now, you're just temporarily borrowing it until Jesus inherits it, okay? Your, your, your car, your house, this world, this planet, uh, everything seen and unseen is, is actually uh, going toward him. Not only is it going toward him, but he also made the worlds plural. So that's, uh, that's, 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 that's this world, that's worlds unknown. He created all things that exist and all things are created by him and they're also created for him. This is God's show and tell, okay? This doesn't get any better than this. Uh, Fierro doesn't really compare to what God is unveiling here and what he's bragging about. He says, by the way, have you checked out my son? Let me just tell you about my son. First of all, he's been appointed the heir of all things. Secondly, he is uh, the one who made all things. Thirdly, he's the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person now god's invisible because he's a spirit but when jesus came to earth he was the visible manifestation of the invisible god there's nothing you you can't you can't match that there's nothing better than jesus it's just true i I don't know if you believe it or not but it's just it's just true i mean you like how are you going to compete with that (laughs) he made everything and he's going to inherit everything He's the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. All of heaven is obsessed 
with Jesus. All of heaven longs to see Jesus. The angels can't even see the brightness of God's glory. But in Jesus, we see the brightness of God's glory. And, and it, this, is, this is Jesus. He's, he's better than, than anything else. He's, he's greater than, than anything else. He's higher than anything else. He's the superlative of any good attribute that you, can, that, you can, that you can give to him, any good name that you can give to him, any kind of description you can try to give to him. It's always going to fall short of who he is. And that's kind of what this first few verses is really all about. God's just, God's just laying down the gauntlet and saying there is nothing better, nothing that is even on the cul-de-sac within the same neighborhood as Jesus. All right? You can't even, you can't even, like he is, he is the Stanley Cup, right? He's the Super Bowl. He's the, uh, he's the World Series. He's the, I mean, he's, he's as good as it gets. He's better than all the rest. He's the best of the best. He's the king of kings. Like he's the one who is the king over kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the president of presidents. He's the director of directors. He's the producer of producers. He is the creator of creators. He is the inventor of inventions. He, he is better than anything that you can imagine. And that's what these first three verses is all about. That's our Jesus. God's whipping out his show and tell time and God's whipping out his son. And he's saying, hey, have you checked this out? He's the express image of my person. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. <laughs> all things are upheld, are held together by the word of his power. Sometimes it's like I think we think about Jesus and the devil and it's like the two of them are sort of duking it out. But what this passage says that that Jesus actually upholds the devil by the word of his power. So if Jesus were to ever decide that he didn't want the devil to exist, the devil would cease to exist because he's only being held together by the word of Jesus's power. And so Jesus's power is holding all things, both both physical and spiritual, seen and unseen together. Every single dimension that it's possible to, 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 to comprehend, every single level of, of existence, Jesus is holding it together. He's pretty darn good. <laughs> he's pretty darn good. He's, he's pretty much the best. And on top of all that, the climax of this little introduction is that he had by himself purged our sins. I love that by himself, that there wasn't, he didn't need any help in purging our sins. By himself, he is the one who purges our sins. Not, not himself and church, not himself and religion, not himself and your devotion, but he had by himself purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated currently. He's ruling currently. He's reigning currently. He's not going to reign. He is currently on the throne of heaven and Everything that happens on this earth, as chaotic as it may seem to you, he is not out of control. He is not wondering what's going on. He's not scratching his head trying to get a backup plan. He is in charge, and nothing happens without his permission. Nothing, nothing happens on this planet without, without him knowing and seeing and being fully aware and fully in control. He's sovereign. Jesus, he's better. And then this is, this is where it kind of turns a little bit weird when he says that he has become so much better than the angels. Now, to understand why in the world uh, Paul or whoever wrote this book uh, would say that, that, that Jesus is better than angels, why would you start there? I mean, you know, I don't know in the 21st century that anybody came to church today wondering, gee, man, I don't know if I should go to Jesus' church or the angels' church. I just... 
hmm, you know, I, I, I don't know if I should worship Jesus or angels. I'm not really sure if I should pray to Jesus or angels. It's really tough. I don't know that that's something that we struggle with in our day and age. But you have to understand who this book was written to. It's, it's entitled Hebrews because it was written to the Hebrew people who had converted to Christianity, fresh new converts who had left Judaism. They grew up in Judaism. They grew up as Jews. But now they had decided that Jesus was the way. They had put their faith in Jesus. And what happened was they were beginning to struggle in their faith. Because they still had plenty of family members who were still Jewish. They still had plenty of friends that were still Jewish. And they said, you know what, man, you've really missed the boat on this whole thing. Jesus, you know, is, is good. He was a good prophet and all that kind of thing. He's a good teacher. But, you know, you've really missed the boat when it comes to him being all that in a bag of chips, right? I mean, creating the universe. I mean, that's kind of a stretch, I think. I think Jehovah did that. I don't think Jesus. And so there was a debate among people who were still in their Jewish religion and those who had left Jewish religion but they were still friends and still connected and influenced by people who were still Jews. And so they began wavering in their faith. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing, and we're going to see this, he does it throughout the entire book, is he takes a, 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 a hero. He takes uh, an object of faith, an object of faith by the Jews. He takes that object of faith and he basically tears that down. He compares it to Jesus and then he knocks it down compared to Jesus, because the whole point of the whole book is that Jesus is better. And it's not that, that Judaism is awful and all this kind of thing, and, and angels are bad. That's not, that's not, that's not the point of, of chapter 1. You might believe in angels. You might, you, might, you might love to think about angels. Personally, I've actually seen an, an angel. I don't mean to freak you out, but I have uh, seen an angel when I was a kid, and it, was, it kind of freaked me out, but um, I, don't, you know, I, I don't know what your beliefs are in angels, but most of us aren't struggling with Jesus or angels. Mm, I don't know which one it's going to be, but, but in these days, in, uh, to, to these Jews, angels were really, really huge. I mean, if you look at the history of the Jewish people, angels are throughout the, the Old Testament. God uses angels time and time again, A, to speak to people, but B, to fight for people. Like there's a time in the Old Testament where, where, where the prophet is standing like in this valley and he, and he has his little servant here and they're both standing there. They're surrounded by these enemy soldiers and the servant is freaking out. He's like, what are we going to do? And, and the prophet prays, Lord, just help him to see what I see. And so, so the servant, God helps him to see what, what the prophet sees. And there are angels all around the countryside surrounding those that were surrounding them. And they're like, hey, it's going to be all right. Okay, we're good. We're good. Because angels actually fought for them. Angels actually defended them. Angels actually would go into other, other armies and destroy people. And it was the angel of death that went, into, that went into the land of Egypt that killed the firstborn of every single living Egyptian. So angels were powerful. Angels were mighty. Angels are, are greater than humans. And so, and so there, there began to be almost a cult following of angels. And um, even as I was reading about this um, recently with respect to modern Judaism, there's still some pretty interesting things that they believe. For instance, they believe that whenever you do something good, uh, according to what I read, that they believe you can actually conjure up angels. Like you can create angels when you do good things. So you do good things and good angels sort of are created like every time a bell rings or something. I don't know. An angel gets his wings. Um, good, good angels are created to help you. Like it's kind of like karma, I guess. You do good things, good angels come and they come and help you. You do bad things, bad angels are created to kind of try to derail you, you know. And so it can be a good and a bad thing. But, but angels are so mysterious and so powerful that, that even in some sections of, 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 of Judaism, there was almost a worship of angels. 
It was almost a prayer to angels. In fact, in fact, they believed that every single time you spoke their name, which is why they, 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 they began almost to not even write the names of angels because they felt the names of angels were almost as holy as the name of God. Um, uh, whenever you read Jewish literature, they won't write the full name of God. They'll do G-D, and um, that's the way that they, they don't actually use his name in vain because they, they so reverence the name of God, and I love that. But they also began doing that for angels because they said anytime you actually say a name of an angel like Michael, um, that Michael is, is, is automatically um, assigned to come help you. So he, he, he just showed up somewhere in this room, I guess. Hey, Mike, good to see you. It's lovely. Thank you. You can go back to your other post now. That'd be great. Um, but that's this kind of the point. Like there was, this, there, was this, there was this fear of and reverence for angels because angels were messengers of God. Really great. But the point of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that Jesus is better than angels. Angels might be your thing. I don't know. Uh, you know, chubby, precious moment dolls are, you know, <laughs> cute. Uh, powerful angels might be your thing. Uh, scripture says that he will give his angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. And, and, and people often, you know, pray that God would send angels. And, and I'm not against angels. The book of Hebrews isn't against angels. But here's, here's where it gets tricky. Whenever angels take the place of Jesus, whenever you imagine that angels are kind of close to Jesus. And by the way, we do this in the 21st century in America, not necessarily about angels, but we do it about other things, other things that we feel are just as important. That Jesus, yeah, Jesus is good. Jesus is great. He created everything. He's powerful. He's amazing. He's loving. He's gracious. He's kind. He's, he's good. He's all of that, but he's kind of like the introductory to Christianity, right? Like you learn about Jesus. You learn your ABCs. You get that down. You learn about what Jesus did. He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day, and whoa, that's awesome. And now, you know, this ABCs kindergarten. Now we go on to the next grade level where we really get into the deeper things of God, and we really learn about, you know, you know, like, 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 tribulation stuff and deep things you know and i just want to guard us against that and i want to warn us against that kind of thinking that kind of thought because according to hebrews chapter one there's no such thing as deeper thing than jesus there's no such thing as deeper thing than the cross or than salvation or than the fact that he's purged our sins and he's seated at the right hand of the father there is no greater thought there's no greater theology there's no greater doctrine there's a lot of good things that you can learn but there's nothing as paramount that you know and that you understand as jesus so many times people come into the church and they, and they, they say they want to follow God and then they step in and, and they, they don't really learn about Jesus. They learn about everything about him, all this stuff about how you need to do this, you need to do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, do this, do this. And you get this whole list of to-dos and to-don'ts and you don't really meet the person of Jesus. But the person of Jesus is better than a theology of angels. The person of Jesus is better than a theology of, of a good prayer life. The person of Jesus is better than any other teaching that you can possibly have. You must know Jesus himself. And for those of you today, maybe you're not even a Christian. You don't really subscribe to that religion. You're just kind of interested. Well, we welcome you. We love for you to sit back and enjoy our, our comfy seats and some cup holders and, and, and yeah. If you really need mom, you can always go. Hopefully mom's out that way, I hope. I, hmm. Okay, so 
she's still trying to figure out if she wants Jesus. So that, that's good. That's good. We'll just pray for her. Stretch hands that way. Um, and if you're still trying to figure out, that's great. We welcome you just to observe and to, and to learn about what the Bible claims about Jesus. Uh, that's great. But for many of us here, we've already decided that Jesus is awesome and Jesus is great. The problem is we've allowed other things to slip in and we've begun to believe that they are nearly as great. They're somewhere on the same street as Jesus, somewhere close to Jesus. And what I want to do over the next few weeks is just completely obliterate that thought and erase that type of thinking. Because we often chase our tails when we're trying to get around Christianity and we don't really spend our time with Jesus. So Jesus is better than angels. He's better than, than, than other things that we hold on to here in this, in this day and age. We hold on to several things here and several good things. Uh, Jesus is better than family. No amens there. Uh, <laughs> No, 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 we hold on to family. Family's good. There's nothing wrong with family. Family's being given by God. But that's kind of the key, isn't it? Throughout the first chapter, he goes down the list of why Jesus is so much better than angels, uh, his relationship to his father, where he's seated. He's seated at the right hand of the father, you know. And it's almost like he's sort of, he's mocking. He's like, to which of the angels did he ever say this or that? Or, you know, is he going to really make the angels their enemies or their footstool? I mean, you know, so it's almost like you feel kind of stupid at the end of chapter one. If you were one of the few that thought angels were like, woo, better than Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just joking. I was that wasn't me. That was the guy next to me. Um, you kind of feel kind of dumb. But at the end of chapter 1, it says what the purpose of angels are. Per angels are given to help us. And that's what we are so often tempted to do. The gift that God gives. We tend to worship the gift and forget about the giver. And we tend to look for the gift and not necessarily look for the giver. It's kind of like Christmas morning when you rush down when you're a kid. You're not really interested in mom and dad. You're just interested in that tree and the boxes that are under that tree. It's like we have a natural human tendency to prioritize the gift and to kind of brush aside the giver. But what, what, what Hebrews is saying is that angels are a gift. Family is a gift. It's a gift from God. I love my smiling kids when they're smiling. And I love them when they're not smiling because they're a gift. And, uh, you know, my wife is a gift. My, my brother, my sister, my mom and my dad, my aunts and my uncles. My family is a gift from God. But what so often happens, we take that gift and we put that on the same level as the giver. And we say, this is just as important as that. And I want to warn you against that because family is not as good as Jesus. Family is not as faithful as Jesus. Family is not as loving as Jesus. Fa family is not as forgiving <laughs> as Jesus. Family is not as gracious as Jesus. And family is not as valuable as Jesus. Family didn't create the world. Family didn't, didn't the world's not going to them. Uh, the, it's, just, it's just family. It's just blood is thicker than water, and that's all good, but I don't know anybody that's related to water, so that doesn't really even make sense. Just <laughs> Blood is just, you know... Thick and it gets thicker when it when it conjugates, you know, when you get cut and it becomes a scab. And who cares about blood anyway? Family is not as good as Jesus. Jesus' blood is much better than your family's blood. So let's just if we're gonna put those two on, the, the Jesus' blood forgives and purges and cleanses and heals and sanctifies and restores and renews. Family is a gift, but it's not the giver. 
so often cling to family. And that's what chapter 2, verse 1 starts off with. He says, therefore, in light of this, in light of the fact that, that you need to stop focusing on the gift, you need to start focusing on the giver. In light of that, this is what we really have to do. We have to give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard. Well, well what, what does that mean? It means pay attention. And that's the key, really. That's, that's, that's the key of the next four weeks is we're going to be paying attention to Jesus. Attention's like money. You only got so much. You got to be careful where you spend it. You got to pay attention. You don't just give it. You pay it. You only have so much attention. You can only give your attention to so many things and so many people. Jesus has got to be the primary attention receiver in your life. Not your family, not your job. Job's great. Job's a gift. Uh, money's great. Money's a gift. Church is great. Church is a gift. We got, we, we got to pay attention to the things we heard, which is Jesus. We heard Jesus. Jesus is the primary revelation from God. According to chapter 1, he's the thing that we heard. He's the thing we need to pay attention to. And actually, in the original language there, the word for pay attention actually means to grab a hold of and pull it really close. Everything else you can hold like out here, but Jesus, you got to hold in here. You got to pay attention. You got to hold so closely to Jesus. Look, lest we drift away. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that statement. And some people say backsliding and things like that. They use other language to describe that. Really what they're talking about is they're talking about drifting away from God and going away from, from, from the things of God. And that's... That's somewhat true, but actually, actually what the passage means there, it doesn't necessarily mean sinning, it means drifting. Drifting means to unintentionally, almost accidentally slide carelessly by. And that's kind of life, isn't it? If we, if we were not intentional, we just accidentally, almost unintentionally gravitate away from the most important thing. We naturally gravitate not toward Jesus. We naturally gravitate toward, not toward the giver, but toward the gift. We naturally slide toward the gift. We naturally slide into uh, what the Bible calls idolatry. That's worshiping the gift. That's holding the gift at the same level, as close as you hold Jesus. Holding both of these and saying, man, both of these things are, are pretty much the same. And I'm just going to embrace, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to live with, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to serve. And all of my energy, and all of my time, all of my attention is going to go toward this gift that's drifting oftentimes people in the church they, they have a certain list of things that are drifting you know like you start cussing you take off your city chapel bumper sticker off your car uh just throwing it out there because that is drifting by the way if you just i'm watching i'm watching you um you know you don't go to church as often and you you don't pray, and you don't read your Bible, and then you, you, you go partying, and, and there's, this, there's this drifting of things that we call drifting. There's this list, there's this progression of things we call drifting. You know what those things are? Those things are not necessarily drifting. Those things are the result of drifting. Drifting isn't sin. It's not, it's not what causes you. When you drift, that doesn't cause you to sin. Or when, when you sin, it doesn't cause you to drift. Drifting, drifting itself is what precedes all of that. When you stop paying attention to Jesus. So you might say, well, I'm not going out partying on Saturday night. And uh, yeah, I'm going to church and I'm doing, you're doing all the doing things. But are you paying attention to Jesus? 
Because attention is not what you do on Saturday nights. Attention is what's in your mind and in your heart. It goes much deeper than simply keeping a set of rules. It goes into changing your heart and grabbing a hold of Jesus and holding him so close that nothing else can get in. And whenever, whenever, we, whenever we hold something else close, we've already begun to drift. We're already, we're already out there. And, and the other stuff just kind of follows. It just kind of shows up in our life accidentally, kind of like we accidentally drifted away from God. And I want to challenge you today to realign your focus to Jesus. I want to challenge you to grab a hold of the person of Jesus, not just the stuff of Jesus, not just church, not just reading your Bible, not just a bunch of good things. But I want to challenge you that Jesus is better than any of that. He's better than all the good stuff that you could hold on to. I don't want to be a church someday, a big church someday, that we just do good things, right? Like we, 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 we feed the homeless, we go into prisons, which, 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 which we do. Robbie's going to the prison every week. Uh, we go into neighborhoods, we serve kids, we, we do Halloween stuff and, and bless, bless people. And all that stuff is great, but you can do all that without Jesus. You can do all of that. You can go to church every single Sunday from now until the day you die and never hold on to Jesus. You can get this ritual in your life, this habit in your life, and it's a good habit. It's good things. You can value good things. You can be a good person and never value Jesus. You can be a person who values his family and never really cling to Jesus. You can be a person that that values his health and never really cling to Jesus. All these good things that that come in, these gifts from God that he's given us, you, you can hold those closer than Jesus. And that is drifting. That is drifting. And here's the real reason why Jesus is better than angels. Toward the end of chapter two, he talks about the fact that Jesus doesn't aid angels. This is interesting. Why would Jesus aid angels? He doesn't, he doesn't aid angels. And actually the word aid there means he doesn't become like them. He doesn't grab a hold of them. The word aid means to grab something in order to help it. And it's kind of a play on words because at the beginning of chapter 2, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, look, look, we need to grab a hold of Jesus and pull him close so that we won't drift. But then at the end of chapter 2, he says, look, this is the final reason why Jesus is better than angels because Jesus has grabbed a hold of us. So that he can help us. So we reach for Jesus because we're naturally prone to drift. Jesus reaches for us to pull us out of our drifting. (laughs) To realign our focus and to grab a hold of us and to aid, to help us. And no angel is going to do that for you. No good thing in your life is going to do that for you. Peter, if you want to come up and play keys, getting ready to wrap up. But I just want to challenge you. And I want, and I want, I want us all to examine our hearts and just look, in, look inward for just a minute and just say, am I holding on to Jesus above all things? Am I, am I pulling him closer than anything else? Or, or do I have other things that I'm just, I'm just grabbing a hold of? And I, 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 Jesus is good. He's great. He's nice. He's all that. But, but, but you know, I got these, got these angels that I, I really think I need that. Or maybe it's not angels, maybe it's something else. And whatever, your, whatever, whatever, whatever garners your attention, that's what's going to direct your life. Whatever you're looking at, whatever you're focused on, whatever you're holding closest to your chest, that is what is going to influence you the most. And so trying to live for Jesus, trying to be a good person, all that kind of thing, without holding Jesus close is 
not going to work. It's going to be very difficult for you. It's going to be very hard. And it's not the way it's meant to be. So you say, well, well, well what, what do you mean by pulling Jesus close? How do, we, how do we pull Jesus close? Well, let me just give a simple illustration from my own life. Um, we often, as pastors, we often ask people, how's your relationship with Jesus, you know, which is a good question to ask. But you get all sorts of answers when you ask that. Like, you get all sorts of answers. And uh, uh, I, some people say, oh, my relationship is good with Jesus. Well, you, it's almost always good, you know, when you're a pastor. Everybody, everybody's just got good news for you. It's great. Um, and uh, because we're in Texas and people don't want to disappoint their pastors and they just, you know, they just think we're... So, you know, it's always good. It's always, it's always good. But the stuff, the reason why it's good is always interesting to me. Some people are like, oh, my relationship with Jesus is good because, you know, I've started going to church again. And, and uh, I've been coming all like two weeks in a row. Woo! Jesus, awesome. Coming to church a real long time, two months. It's amazing. Um, okay. All right. Cool. Pat on the back. That's, that's good. It's a good thing. But is that good thing, like, is that, is that really what defines your relationship with Jesus? Is that how you regulate? Okay, I'm doing real good with God because of this. That's almost like being married. It's like, how's your relationship with your wife? Well, it's good. I, you know, I bought her some clothes, uh, fed her some food. We got a house. She's living in the house. It's cool. She's liking the house. I've done some stuff for her. Yeah, relationship's great. Um, we need marriage counseling, folks. That's not marriage. Like, doing stuff for people is nice. I do stuff for people that I'm not married to, right? I mean, when I talk about my relationship with my, with my wife, it's different than just doing stuff for her. It's different than just appreciating. Oh, you know, she's she, you know, it's great. She, you know, she 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 mowed the lawn. She did this, and so it's not even stuff she does for me. This is not what we talk about when we talk about relationships. And you know this if you've been married or even been dating. You understand there's something deeper, there's something greater than, than, than the, the, the stuff that gets done for each other. And so to say that, yeah, my relationship with Jesus is good because he blessed me with his job this week, well, okay, that's good, that's a good thing. But no, 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 not, not, not what has he done for you. What, what is your relationship with Jesus like? You know how I know when, when, when my relationship is really great with Roe? When I catch myself just thinking about her unintentionally, right? Like I'm just, I'm just at Starbucks serving the Lord, <laughs> sweating for the Lord at Starbucks. Um, and I just think about her. I'm just like, oh, right? Like sort of like when you're first dating, you know, you can't get the person out of your head. Can't get on their mind. It's like everything reminds you of them and all oh, this is their favorite color and all oh, that's this and all oh, this. It's like you see them everywhere. You, you know, you know what that's like. Well, that's actually that that's not supposed to leave. That that's not supposed to go away with marriage. You're not just supposed to be roommates. And that's a portion of that's supposed to stay. You're supposed to stay in love with your spouse. That's for marriage week next month. Uh, but it's also true with Jesus. Like when you first get saved and everything is like he's teaching you stuff and you're seeing it and he's learning, you're learning all the time. That's what's amazing. My relationship with Jesus, it's like I'm connected to him 24-7 and, and that's not supposed to go away. That's supposed to stay. That connection. Now, yeah, some of the emotion's going to go away and there's, and there's going to come a time at which I just know her favorite color is orange and things that are orange are her favorite color. And I got that, right? It's sad. I'm good. 
but, but, but you always know that you're, that you're close, that you're intimate, that you're connected when you, when you unintentionally, almost without your will, without, without determination, you just, you, just, you, you just long to be closer to that person. When I talk about your relationship with Jesus, I guess I'm saying, what do you think about unintentionally? What, what just springs out of your heart? What just jumps out of your is it, is it Is it Jesus or is it something else? And if it's anything else, I'm telling you, it's not as good as Jesus. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's going to help you drift and it's not going to help you stay. It's not going to help you hold on to him. It's not going to help you go where, where you want to go. You've got to grab a hold of Jesus.